We are in a series on Advent, looking at the different themes throughout Advent. And this morning, we are talking about joy. And to start our time together with the people that are around you, I would love for you to share what brings you joy. Whether that's a particular person, so spouses, you could get brownie points, a particular place that brings you joy, um, or some kind of thing that just gives you all the warm fuzzies. So let's just take a few minutes and share with the people around you about what brings you joy. I could talk about so many different people or places, but I want to share the one, one thing that brings me great joy, and it is a really good cup of coffee. And I know there's times of deep tiredness and desperation that the one coffee from the couple places we're not going to mention at this time, and you grab that and that coffee works. Or if you're at home and I'm with my Hario V60 and I'm making my pour over and my kids are doing great, they're doing their own thing, and I can just sit without a to-do list, without work, and I can just sit and enjoy the flavor notes of that coffee. I know, I'm a little bit of a coffee nerd, bear with me, but I love just sitting and sipping on a good cup of coffee. It brings me great joy, but ultimately, there comes an end to that coffee. I consume it, whether it gets to the end and it's cold because my kids demand something or whatever, or I drink it warm and then all of a sudden I realize, oh no, I have work to do. The emails need to get answered. The demands of work eventually meet me. The honey-do list that I might have needs to get after. There are bills to pay. There's a schedule filled with meetings and events, and the list goes on. But I long for that coffee once more. But why does it seem like in these moments, and maybe like the ones that you shared, but we have those moments of like the sipping of coffee or whatever it is that you said, whether you found joy in, whether it's time spent with a spouse or you talked about a vacation or a particular place that when you think about it, it brings you great joy. But why does it seem like those things don't last that long? Why does it seem like joy is fleeting? And even as we look at the world around us and as we experience things, we don't seem to be in a constant state of joy. And even this holiday season for many of us, maybe we've had a really hard year and maybe joy seemed like a distant past and yet we are entering what is coined the most wonderful time of the year. Is joy possible in the midst of hardship? Is it possible in the midst of trial, in the midst of a dry season spiritually, is joy possible? Before I get to answering those questions, if you don't mind opening your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We're going to just camp out in two passages. This will be the first very familiar Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says this, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there is a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. And we'll stop there. Night shift shepherds. We're out in the middle of the night on an ordinary night, what seems to be. They have no religious or cultural authority. And yet an angel of the Lord appears to them. Didn't go straight towards the priest of the day. Didn't go to the most holy person in the land. The angel shows up to these night shift shepherds on an ordinary night, low on the economic totem pole. And the angel of the Lord shows up to them, and they were terrified, which, by the way, we probably would be too. Imagine if you are in your line of work, and all of a sudden an angel shines around you. I think your first reaction wouldn't be like, ah, thank you, Jesus, for showing. You probably would be terrified too. I know I would be. So these night shift shepherds hear a word from an angel of the Lord. And let's dissect this word. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, catch this, good news of great joy that will be for all people. And before we dissect a little bit of what this good news of great joy is, can we remind ourselves that these are night shift shepherds who are watching their flocks in the middle of the night which nobody else is awake, and they tell them that this is good news of great joy that will be for all people, meaning that the angel of the Lord trusted these shepherds to get the word out about the Savior being born. The angel of the Lord didn't show up to the most gifted evangelist of the day, but he shows up to these night shift shepherds who have no religious authority whatsoever. And he says that this is good news of great joy that today in the city of David, the day that they had been looking forward to as a nation for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, that today a Savior is born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, and you will find him as a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. This is the day Israel had been looking forward to for hundreds of years. Their savior and king was born, the one who would crush the serpent's head, the one who was called Emmanuel, God with us, the one whose wounds would heal us, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the branch from the stump of Jesse. He's finally here. And this is what we would call good news. Catch this, of great joy. When was the last time we thought about sweet little baby Jesus and we got overwhelmed with great joy? And that this good news of great joy is not just for a select few, but it is for all people. So if we break down this phrase, good news, great joy, all people, first phrase, good news, is euangelion, which is where we get evangelist to evangelize. It's good good news. To be an evangelist is a bearer of glad tidings. So you are an evangelist when you share about your sports team winning a game. You are an evangelist when you share about the good things happening at work or the good things happening in your life. When you share good news, you are an evangelist. And so this is good news of great joy. 
not just mere joy, but great joy. And the word great there is megas or mega. So for the remainder of the sermon, I am going to talk about mega joy, which I know sounds potentially childish, but I think there's something childlike inside of us that desires for mega joy. Right? I know, because I just saw you guys the first few minutes of this sermon, and you guys are laughing and giggling and like elbow bumping because you love joy. We all do. And don't we want this mega joy? And that this good news of mega joy is the fact that our Savior is here. He's born. Mega joy sounds awesome. And I know some of us that we could call ourselves realist would probably scream at me and say, well, Jordan, you don't really understand. Life is really hard. Have you read the news? It's not all pleasant and cheery and frolicking through flowers and meadows on our yellow brick road towards never-ending joy and happiness. Like, come on, Jordan, get with it. I hear you. I get it. Because life isn't more than the mountaintop moments. It's more than just that one time that you do have your cup of coffee and your Bible open and you get this like downloaded word from God and everything's just all joyful. Life is more than just those moments. But if you look at this good news of great joy that will be for all people, it was not dependent upon our circumstances, upon the news being great. The good news of great joy is dependent on Jesus. Because the Messiah, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, is the good news. And also, speaking of those not-so-pleasant, cheery, frolicking-through-flowers-and-meadows things, do you think Jesus experienced hardship? Do you think just because this was good news of great joy that Jesus just experienced all the mountaintop moments? Persecution from religious leaders? The people who should have been defending him but were rather arguing against him and trying to kill him and successfully did? That on the moment that he needed his disciples the most that his disciples abandoned him? Oh, and don't forget about the fact that he was crucified and died a criminal's death. So when we talk about this great joy, this is beyond just our circumstances. But what if joy, according to the way of Jesus, is not the overwhelming emotional experience without any kind of hindrance, but what if joy is a posture of the soul that is not dependent on our circumstances? Because our circumstances change often. Look, even just my morning this morning, for those of you parents, you get it. Some moments your kids are playing really well and you're like, oh, praise be to God. And then the next moment, one kid cuts the little thing that they were building and there's just terror. And then you're like, oh my goodness. Our circumstances change so quick. But yet, what if we are called to be people who have this good news of great joy. Because the writer of Hebrews, when he was describing the joy that Jesus experienced, in Hebrews chapter 2, 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that lay before him, so this is talking about like the joy that lay before Jesus, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because the joy that Jesus found in those circumstances was far beyond his circumstances. That Jesus was able to find joy even as he went to the cross 
which once again, can we experience that type of Jesus-saturated joy in the midst of our hardship, hurt, pain, and grief? Short answer, yes. But let's flesh this out just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 15. And we'll start in verse 1 as soon as we get there. But as you're turning, there's a guy by the name of St. Thomas Aquinas. He was a 13th century philosopher and theologian. And in his most complete work, which is a summary of theology, he spent a bit of time talking about joy. Not an extensive amount, but he spent a little bit of time enough for us to pay attention. And so St. Thomas Aquinas categorizes joy in two different categories. The first one he talks about is finding joy in what he called the divine good, or what we would call God. Second, he mentions the joy that we find in participation in the creation of the creator, which I think is beautiful that St. Thomas Aquinas mentions that we can find joy in things in creation. That there is something about God giving us these good gifts of creation, like that sipping of the coffee. God has given us that good gift for us to be able to enjoy. That we don't have to forsake creation in order to find some sense of joy. Which is why the memories that you had, that you shared about joy, the people, the places, those things are okay. It's great to find joy in those things. And can I tell you that throughout the Bible that there are portions of Scripture where God tells his people to enjoy things that are within his creation? For an example, two Psalms mention enjoying the prosperity of the land. Ecclesiastes talks about enjoying the work of your hands, for I've seen this from God's hand. And also in Proverbs, let's go, men, to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Men, we are called to find joy in our spouses, and I would assume, ladies, you can find joy in your man, too. And that's just a short list. That throughout Scripture, we have time and time and time again where God even shows us that we can find joy in his creation. So needless to say that we can find joy and we have permission and admonition to participate in the creation around us and to find joy in those things. But those things are mere signposts to get us to understand and find greater joy in something greater than the creation. That the joy that you found on that roller coaster was not meant to be the be-all, end-all of your source of joy. That cup of coffee isn't just for me to just focus on that one cup of coffee, but that I can redirect my affection and my joy from that cup of coffee to the creator and the giver of coffee. Because ultimately, if we desire to find that long-lasting joy, we must find that sense of mega joy in our connection to Jesus. Which is why church family, that there are many around us that are looking for joy and contentment in the creation without the creator, and that is why there is an endless pursuit of the things that seem to never fill them up. But for those of us that bear the name of Jesus, and as we see these things on earth that we can find joy in, that that's not where our joy ends. It goes back to our creator. We turn our affection and our love back to him. And that is why so many that don't have Jesus cannot find contentment or joy because it is a never-ending pursuit of the things without the giver of the thing. So John chapter 15, let's start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, and this is where we're going to camp out. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's dissect this last verse in verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus starts that sentence by saying, I have told you these things. So the question has to be asked, what are these things? Which is also why just general like Bible study information for you. As you're reading scripture, don't just pick one verse. It's important to read the entire context, which is why we read the entirety of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So if you're doing your Bible study and you do the YouVersion Bible app and you pick the one verse press it and then read more of the context. You'll get more of the beauty of scripture and what God's trying to speaking. That one was free. Anyways, what are the things that Jesus is saying here? Just to give you a few bullet points within this passage, Jesus is talking about in order for us to find his joy that then will be complete in us, we must remain in Jesus. The passage mentions just 10 times within that first 11 verses to abide or to remain, that if we want to feel this joy, we must remain in Jesus. We must, in verse 2, this one's uncomfortable and unpopular, but we must allow the Father to prune dead and unfruitful things in our lives. Verse 2 has always stuck out to me in this passage that it says that every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch... That produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Because sometimes in order to feel joy, God might want to cut some things out of your life. And you think it's God being mean, but it's actually for your fruitfulness. That maybe there are some things that you're clinging onto that are dead. And that God wants to cut away so you could have more room for fruit. Also in this passage, he does talk about, in verse 8, bearing fruit. That in order to prove that we are his disciples, we will produce some kind of fruit. And it's interesting that verse 7 is somewhere in the midst of this passage. And it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. It's interesting that we can find joy in being connected to Jesus so much so that as we are connected with him, we can ask what we want and it will be given. 
And I know that that passage can get ripped really easily out of context, but if you are truly remaining in Jesus and you are finding your joy in him and your love in him, then the things that you're gonna ask aren't gonna be like for a Lamborghini, for a raise, or for anything of this world. But as you remain connected with Jesus, that your desires begin to realign with his. And then the things that you ask for and that Jesus wants to do will be things that he wants to accomplish. And that will ultimately be for his joy and for yours and that your joy would be complete. And these are things for us to consider as we in the midst of hardship, hurt, pain, that we can do these things and obtain mega joy. And before we move onward in the passage, just want to address something quickly about this idea of remaining or abiding. Because sometimes we can look at this passage and assume that this is a once and for all. Like we come to Jesus, we have this salvation moment, we pray at church camp, we nail our sins to the cross and, or throw them in the fire, whatever your church camp experience was, and we think that was the moment. We chose to abide, we're good. But it's interesting that he mentions to remain or abide so many times and admonishes us to remain in him because it's a choice. We have a choice whether we desire to remain in him or not. Yes, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and declare those things to him, and as you confess and repent your sins, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And yes, you are a follower of Jesus. And when your life decides to be over, that you will be with Jesus. But to remain in him in this type of fruitful way is a choice of love that God has given each and every one of us. God has given us the free will to be able to choose to remain in him. And so, this is not a once and for all decision. We must continually throw ourselves upon our Savior, remain connected to him in every moment of every day. And especially so when life is really, really hard to continually surrender and declare, Jesus, I want to be connected to you. I need you. I want you. And I experienced that this week. In the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the stressful, we must choose to remain in him. It's interesting that then he goes on to say that he told you these things so that my joy may be in you. Jesus is not offering a cheap or temporary type of joy, but he is offering the joy that is from him, which means this joy is from a divine source, which if we think about this logically, let's break this down. Jesus is fully God, fully human, perfect without sin. Then logically, what must come from Jesus, if those things are true, must be perfect. Without defect, without end, and they must be good. Which means as we consider the things that Jesus said about choosing to abide in him and the fact that he says that my joy, meaning the divine joy of Jesus Christ may be in you, that means that the joy that we can receive is not just that mere temporary type of joy, but it can be an everlasting contentment and joy that's found in him. And that that type of joy will not leave you longing for anything else because you will find joy in the perfect, all-loving one. 
So don't think that when you choose to attach to Jesus and find joy in him, that that is a lesser or settling decision, but that choosing the joy that is found in Jesus, this mega joy, it will always satisfy. Even in the hardship, even in the brokenness, even in the pain, joy in Jesus is far greater than joy in creation without Jesus. And then catch this, he ends by saying in verse 11, and your joy may be complete. Do you think Jesus meant what he said? That we can obtain divine joy from Jesus and that our joy may be complete. The Greek word here for complete is the word playru which means to cause to abound or to make full. So it sounds as if Jesus is saying that our joy can be complete. Once again, I get it. What does it mean for our joy to be complete? Because there are times in our lives when it seems like the hardships get the best of us when it seems like the pain, grief, loss seems to overwhelm us. But church family, I want you to understand this along with me, that our joy can be full if we choose to receive and abide in Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day, surrendering ourselves to him. Because as Hebrews 12 said, that Jesus was able to find joy as he was staring death in the face. And as he endured the grave, overcame the grave, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus was able to find contentment in all of his circumstances. Not with some kind of overwhelming emotional response, because we've unfortunately equated joy with the overwhelming feeling of contentment and that like the butterflies that we feel, which the butterflies are fine. Like I remember finding joy as Sarah was in her white dress walking down the aisle and since she's not here, I can embarrass her a little bit, but I've really enjoyed that moment. And I had the butterflies, but ultimately the butterflies did end as we were on our way to the airport at like 1 a.m. and all the directions and stuff. But even in the midst of that, even over the past almost, I think it's been eight, eight years of marriage. Yeah, eight years, did it. But even in the midst of my relationship with Sarah, there haven't been like just all the mountaintop moments. There have been some of the valley moments too. But through it all, I have been able to find joy in being connected with Sarah. Because in a temporary way, I'm able to understand the love of the Father through Sarah. Because Sarah loves me far more than what I deserve. And that as we enter this holiday season, church family, that we have the choice to choose joy. Because once again, it's a choice. Not dependent on circumstances, but it's dependent on Jesus. And I think we should take Jesus up on his offer in John 15, 11, that we would, if we choose to remain in him and remain in his love, that we would be able to receive the joy that he has given us, an overwhelming contentment that's not dependent on your job status or your circumstances or your feelings or emotions, but that we could have such a resilient joy 
that is anchored and found in Jesus, that that would maybe be that witness of the goodness of our God to those who need hope, peace, love, and joy. And that maybe we, like the shepherds, as we hear this overwhelming good news of great joy that will be for all people, that the contentment and joy that we feel in Jesus would then propel us to want to share that good news with others this holiday season and beyond. Because I know we will probably be around a Christmas tree with other people who don't have this type of joy or this type of hope or this type of love. And that we can be the kind of people who through our connection with Jesus would share about the joy that we have. Because I think it's awesome that these shepherds, they hear this good news of great joy, the heavenly host singing all of the things. And it's awesome in verse 15 of Luke chapter 2. It says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known for us. And they hurried and they found Mary and they found the baby. And it's awesome. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told, which means this, that the God who has made himself known through the baby Jesus, because God is a God who keeps his promises and we can lean on the promise of Jesus that he can bring us his joy and that our joy can be complete in him. May we take him up on that offer this holiday season and beyond, that we would find mega joy even despite our circumstances. Jesus, thank you for the joy that we can find in you. Joy that cannot be touched by the world. A joy that is not dependent upon things that are outside of our control. Thank you that you have given us the gift that is your presence. And that though hardship may come, though grief may come, though hurt may come, that as we choose to connect with you, that we could find contentment and love and joy that can only be found in you and doesn't make sense to the world. Thank you for the good news of great joy that will be for all people, that you, O Jesus, came in the form of an innocent little baby the Messiah, Savior of the world, as a baby. And so, God, I pray for us as we even leave this building and as we go about our day and our weeks, I just pray, God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would remind us of who we are in you and that when we feel disconnected from you, that Holy Spirit, you would... Just comfort us, counsel us, lead us, advocate for us. Do all the things, Holy Spirit, that you do. And that this week I pray that those of us in this room that maybe haven't felt joy in you in a while, that this holiday season that we would feel a sense of joy that can only be found in you and that we honestly can't understand. Jesus, you are good. Thank you for coming. And I pray that as you came then, that you would meet with us this week. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.